Practical Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better, because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. If you find value in our podcast, would you consider supporting us by buying us a cup of coffee? You can do that by going to www.buymeacoffee.com slash practical prep. Your support helps us keep the podcast up and running as well as growing. We have a few things in the planning stages and your support will really help make those things happen. And we thank you so kindly. We're glad to have you with us tonight, and we appreciate you taking your time to listen to the podcast. And you know, we've just come off of this Hurricane Ida that made landfall on Sunday in Louisiana and Mississippi, and there's a lot of accounts of things coming out of there, and there are a lot of lessons that we can learn from those hurricanes and the things that happen. Now, if you'd like a little bit more information on preparing for hurricanes, We've got three episodes here you might want to make note of, and these will be in the podcast notes so that you can refer back to that. Episode number 62 was Prepping for Hurricanes and Other Related SHTF. Episode number 34 was Specifically Preparing for Hurricanes. You might want to add episode number 53, Dealing with Heat-Related Illnesses, because with the power out in South Louisiana, it's hot. Yeah, the uh, weather report there was that the heat indexes or the feels-like temperature over the last couple of days was close to 108, 109. Mm. It's just miserable. There's some things that you need to be aware of with heat-related illnesses, heat stroke, heat exhaustion, a number of things that we actually go through on that particular episode. But as we were watching some of the news coming up to the landfall, One of the things that I heard a government official say, and we commented between ourselves on this, was when he said the first 72 are on you. And he meant that the first 72 hours are on you. That's why we've said stay prepared. Stay prepared for a minimum of a week, but a month is even better. Some of those folks will be out of power for almost a month. Or or more. There's there's no definite on date for Mm -hmm. that and that's where prepping comes in because even though we know that flooding and wind damage has definitely taken some people out of their homes in some instances some of the prepper type people were able to load up some of their preps and and find elsewhere to go a, a relative a friend another state a hotel somewhere where they could go and be safe and take some of their preps mm-hmm. with them so they wouldn't be completely empty-handed but his point was once this thing hits the first 72 hours are on you another statement that i heard came from the mayor of a city that said if you call 911 we can't help you absolutely not streets are flooded buildings are torn up Power lines are down. And it's just plain dangerous. So the first lesson that we need to learn from hurricanes is that help isn't coming. It's not that they don't want to. It's that they cannot. They cannot get to you unless they're in a boat or something. And even then it could be dicey because power lines can be in that water. The time comes when it's just too dangerous to put personnel out in harm's way. You can't send people out in 150 mile an hour winds. Yeah, you can't. You can't. You just can't do it. Cannot do it. So, no EMS, no fire department, no law enforcement. Help's not coming. 
And if you ignore an evacuation order, do you really have a right to ask someone else to risk their life to come to you when you should have evacuated? Hmm. Remember, the first 72 are on you. So we need to plan for that EMS. That's where we talk about that first aid. Uh, We even need to plan for medical situations that can occur. We need to plan for the possibility of a heart attack. How do we treat that until we can get help there? Even rescue and collapse, uh, these folks aren't coming out. If you're trapped in that house, it may be a few days because you're not the only one. You just have to recognize that help may not be coming and the first 72 are on you. And when help does come, it will be delayed. The dispatchers, the, the call takers, they do an amazing job. And they try to triage and prioritize the very large number of calls that they get. Now, they have to decide which is going to take precedent, a heart attack or a broken leg. Which do I send my one crew to deal with right now? And that's why proficiency in first aid is so important. It's why having a well-stocked first aid kit is so important. And it's why storing medications is so important. So just realize when help does come, it will be delayed for some period of time. You also got to remember that people in a hurricane situation or just after are going to be displaced. So you need to think about having an evacuation plan. Find out where the hurricane is expected to go and go in a direction opposite to that. Don't be there. Yeah, just don't be there. If the hurricane is coming north, you need to go east or west, or or you need to be well ahead north and so far north that it can't get to you. I mean, just don't head into it, head away from it. And realize that every motel and hotel within probably 300 miles is going to get swamped out with people. So you may have to consider an even further plan, or it just depends on when you evacuate. If the hurricane's coming from south to north, most people tend to evacuate toward the north. Why not consider east or west by about 100 miles? It gets you out of the path of that hurricane, and you may be able to find a motel room much easier. Yes, definitely get out of the path. And when you're going, take at least a week's worth of clothes, extra shoes, sturdy walking shoes, Something that you may have to spend quite a bit of time in. You may not have laundry facilities for a while either, so take what you can easily carry with you. Right, and you know, not only are some people displaced, and these people would be displaced as well, but some people lose everything they have. All of their preps, all of their personal items, all of their everything. Some of them go back and their house is not there anymore. Mm-hmm. This is a good reason to split our preps into several areas, even if it's two locations inside the house on each end, or if it's in the house in the garage, or maybe even a mini storage. And you can get climate controlled mini storage that you can store anything there that you store at home, food, water, whatever. And if it's a non climate controlled, You can store freeze-dried foods, but water is going to depend on kind of your geographic location and your storage method because we don't want that to be freezing. 
Now, here's some things that we can prepare for. We can prepare for the power going out. It's going to go out in a hurricane. Even before landfall, even before Ida came on shore, the power was already going out. The Mm -hmm. winds were already knocking it down. So think about getting a generator. And there's so many different kinds of generators from the very, very smallest to the permanently installed whole home generator. Think it over, look it over, talk it over with your family as far as what do you believe your greatest needs are and which would determine what size generator you should consider. Now, the two most popular are propane and gasoline, probably not in that order. There's probably a larger number of gasoline generators than there are propane, but those are the two most popular, at least on portable, and you need to have enough fuel stored for that. You don't want to be getting into the third day of needing it and run out of gas, especially when there's no more gas available. Now, propane stores virtually indefinitely. You just need to figure out the usage rate per hour per day and multiply that by how many days you expect to be in a power outage or how many days you want to plan for that. Gasoline needs a little bit more care. You need to be rotating your stored gasoline, and a good way to do that is have 6 to 12 5-gallon containers, and you can rotate one container every two months or one every month, depending on whether you're using 6 or 12 or whatever, but rotate that. And if you're storing gasoline for less than a year, you don't even need stabilizer added to it. So consider having enough. I've, I've heard of accounts coming out of Louisiana that this man stood in line at a gas station when they opened up. They'd gotten a new fuel shipment, and they were limiting it, but they were letting people get gasoline. It was cash only. And this man stood in line, and when he got up to about the 10th one from getting his gasoline, the gas ran out. So he stood in line all day and still didn't get any gasoline. So have that stored up ahead of time when you are able to get that. Hey, listen, I just want to tell you about a couple of books that you need to add to your collection and give as gifts. I highly encourage that you go to Amazon and look up this title, Making Contact During Emergencies. This is information that may save your life or the life of someone you care about. If injured, lost, or found in a disaster, or another type of emergency. This book was written by Mark and Krista Lolly. I'm Krista, and Mark is my husband. Book number two that we wrote that we're especially proud of and has gotten a lot of buzz is entitled Practical Prepping for Everyday People. This is a common sense guide on preparing for life's emergencies. And when we say practical prepping, we mean the type of emergencies you're going to find yourself in day in and day out. Car emergencies, dead batteries, flat tires, storm damage, the roof has gotten blown off, you find that you have no power, no electricity, no devices are working. These kinds of things are happening to somebody somewhere every single day. And we were astonished when we did a little research to find that a vast majority of people found themselves woefully unprepared for 
one or more of these types of emergencies. And particularly after this COVID year that we've experienced, I think a whole lot more of us are paying closer attention to things like grocery store supply chains, the ability to be able to buy gas, the ability to be able to move freely about, or what's going to happen if we do have to stay home for three weeks solid. Practical Prepping for Everyday People by Mark and Crystal Lolly, also making contact during emergencies. Go to Amazon, look these up, add these to your collection. We sure appreciate it. Chris, give us some safety tips on using generators. A generator, whether it's propane, gasoline, dual fuel, some of them will do both, you are to operate that generator outdoors only, period. There's no gray area here. It is an outdoor product. It will produce carbon monoxide. And carbon monoxide kills. That's why we have carbon monoxide detectors. We don't want that in our homes. You must operate that outdoors and outdoors only. And let me point out, too, that if you're looking at someone that may be experiencing carbon monoxide overdose, they will look cherry red. Their skin just has a cherry red appearance to it. So even if you don't have a detector, if you see one of the folks in that house with you that is beginning to have a cherry red appearance, got to get them outside into fresh air and possibly need to be having medical care. Also, don't run a generator inside an enclosed garage. A lot of people keep their cars in there, and if you're needing to go in there and then get your car and drive, you're going to expose yourself to carbon monoxide if you've been running the generator. So when I say outdoors, I'm talking outdoors, outside. With you look up, you see sky. That's what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And you need to also have a battery-operated carbon monoxide detector if possible. It's just one of those life-saving things. If you've got no power, or if your power is not running to your house and your detectors are attached to that, you need something battery operated. And make sure you also do not overload the generator. Generators have a capacity, mm-hmm. a maximum capacity, and you'll be given all of that information depending on which one you purchase. So do some research, really get some homework done on the generator and what it's going to take to operate what you need operated. Do you just need your refrigerator and freezer to go and you can kind of forgo everything else? Then a smaller generator is fine. Do you want something to run the whole entire house? Then you're going to need to invest in a much larger generator. So Mm -hmm. do some homework there. Okay. Another power option is batteries and an inverter. This is how I run my CPAP if we have a power outage. I just pull a car battery and a attach an inverter to it and plug my CPAP into the inverter and it runs great. And so if you're on a CPAP or any type of life-sustaining equipment, consider having a battery and an inverter ready to go. Also keep a lights out kit. Now that's going to include flashlights and the batteries that they need, LED lanterns, headlamps, glow sticks, even flameless candles, you know, these battery-operated candles. We do not really want to push a lot of flame-on, actual flame candles too much. They're better than nothing, but we don't really want to depend on a burning candle for our light or anything like that during a natural disaster or during a power outage because they can just become forgotten and they can become a risk and a hazard. Too many homes have burned because people just forgot about this candle burning and it caught something on Mm -hmm. fire. Also, you need to plan for auxiliary heating and cooling. 
Propane heater is a great option for cold weather. And also a window unit, a window air conditioning unit with a generator for hot weather. We were talking about that the other day. We've got our den that we can close off and it would be no problem to put a window unit very quickly into that. And you can get those for very, very reasonable prices. And if we have an extended power outage this time of year, especially last week and week before, we'd be in trouble. We'd be Uh having to leave if we didn't have the ability to put some type of cooling system in there. Here's another thing that happens after hurricanes. Food delivery stops for a while. Right. Now, this doesn't. This includes no pizza delivery, no stakeout, no Grubhub, no uh, DoorDash. This also means the HelloFresh and the grocery market and the subscription deliveries are also not coming mm-hmm. either. A lot of people are a little way too dependent on their groceries coming, and I don't blame them. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having your your daily groceries delivered or your weekly groceries delivered, but you got to realize if you're in one of these regions that's been affected, your food's not coming. Mm -hmm. What you going to do? Have a backup plan. Go to your preps. So you have power lines down for days or weeks or even a month or more. You have trees or debris blocking roadways. You got a lot of nails on those roadways from roofs being blown off and such as that. You've got businesses destroyed, and you can't cook a pizza if you don't have a roof. It's hard. And the business anyway. (laughs) Now, the Red Cross, the Salvation Army, Southern Baptists will usually get started providing food in three to four days. Now, a lot of people question that. And when I first got into it, I thought, well, why can't we get it going a lot better? And it's a logistical problem with personnel and equipment as well as the supplies. You think about the food order. When we sent teams to Biloxi, Mississippi after Katrina, I sent the feeding unit down. They start getting set up. The next day, I sent two tractor-trailer loads of food, $77,000 order. And you don't put that together in 20 minutes. No, you can't. Now, when you said you sent a, a food truck down, you're talking about they were hubbed in Birmingham. Yes. And they had to make their way to New Orleans. That's not across the street. No. They had a day for travel, and they had a day for setup. And the day they started traveling, I put in the order and already had arrangements with the company that was delivering the food and gave them letters to get through. And it was just a... takes a while to get it up. And I was coordinating disaster relief with Southern Baptist, who prepare 80% of the food that's distributed by the Red Cross worldwide. It's quite an interesting operation, but they'll be getting that food to you, but it's going to be three or four days before they can get it set up and the Red Cross can get those herbs out into the community. What's an an herb? There are emergency response vehicles. That's the well-known red and white truck and looks like an ice cream truck that they feed outside. Well, you know, because deliveries are not going to be available, just food in the grocery store is also going to mm-hmm. be a, a very hazardous thing there. Businesses are going to be closed. There's going to be some of them damaged. There's going to be power outages. Computer systems are going to go down. Credit card processing is going to go down. And so it looks like you probably, if you do find somewhere that's open where you can buy gasoline or food, it may be a cash only. So you've got to be prepared with some cash. And usually those are little mom and pop neighborhood stores, and they're mm-hmm. doing it as a service to the community 
as much as anything else. That's true. Cash becomes king at a time like that when credit and debit cards aren't working. ATMs can also go down in a power outage and an internet outage. (laughs) Some of these may be underwater as well. So you've got to just really take a look at the circumstances and realize what's going on here, that things are just not instantaneously fixed. Mm -hmm. In fact, it, it can be destroyed in an instant, but it can take literally months to build it back. So that's why we say that you need to have that cash stash hidden somewhere that you can pull out. It can be a few hundred dollars. It can be whatever you want it to be. But it needs to be where you can buy gas or food or whatever if you're put into that situation. Now, here's another one. Plan for mosquitoes. Yeah, somehow there's just something about a hurricane that just brings the mosquitoes out. So you need a lot of that serious deep woods repellent. And, you know, you can pin a dryer sheet to a kid. I did not know that. So you've learned something I've today. I've learned something. That's a tip that I learned when we had small children, is that you can pin a dryer sheet to the back of their shirt, and it tends to ward off the mosquitoes. There are also these personal wearable repellent systems, and I think they're, they operate off of some type of battery and puts out a chemical, you wear it on your wrist or wherever, and it tends to repel mosquitoes as well. And again, a story from when we were working in Lake Wells, Florida, after Hurricane Charlie, our team leader down there, he, he and I would talk every day, sometimes more than once a day, and I would find out what he needed, and I had another team coming down, and I said, do you need anything? What do I need to send with you? And he said, send me a case of insect repellent or a case of 410 shells. The mosquitoes down here are the size of crows. Oh, my (laughs) Probably bit like a crow, too, yes. And I went to Lake Wells a couple of weeks later personally, and he wasn't kidding. You needed some insect repellent. Mm. particularly for those. After a big old hurricane, you know that communications are going to be interrupted as well. You're not going to get cable TV. Your cables are going to be down. Your satellites are going to be down. The distribution facilities are going to be down. Cellular phone networks are quickly overloaded. The ones that are working are generally overloaded to the point that you may not be able to get through. So it's very, very good advice to have a battery-operated AM, FM radio for local information Carry extra batteries as well because you're going to be using those battery-operated products for longer periods of time, Mm -hmm. and you may wear some of those batteries down. And this is a very good time to have a ham radio and the license. You might want to refer to episodes number 16 and episode number 25 to go into more detail about ham radio operation because those have That has proven to be a very vital and sometimes only form of land communication. We hope you've picked up something here tonight from some of the lessons that have been learned through previous hurricanes. And anything else you want to add tonight? Well, we just want everyone to be safe and careful and stay weather aware in your area, your nation, or your country. And pay very close attention to the things that are happening in the weather. And be prepared for what might happen because... Weather's going to happen. you got to stay. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. If you haven't done this already, go ahead and click the subscribe button so you'll never miss one of our episodes. And share it with your friends and family. You can reach us on Facebook at Practical Prepping. You can email us at info at practicalprepping.info. And our website is practicalprepping.info. 
And as always, remember, stuff happens. Stay prepared.